Hey guys, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash let's not panic. We love all the support we get and it keeps us going. So please check it out. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Let's Not Panic podcast. We're two practical people chronicling a pretty impractical trip from San Francisco to Patagonia and back again this super duper long way. We're trying not to panic. If you're just joining us, I'm Maggie. And I'm Adam. And we're a married couple who've quit our jobs, given up our lease, and hit the road in a Toyota 4Runner that's now our home. And last we podcasted, we were in Vinpok. Is that correct? Did I nail that? I mean, dude, I don't know. I think sounded good to me, though. I think as an expert on this now, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say that was perfect pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Ventok. No. No. Too far. You're taking it like in the Ruski direction. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what was next after that, Maggie? So then we headed southeast to the Sosovli Dunes. Yeah, we opted to shorten our routes a little bit to Mm -hmm. make sure that we got to Cape Town at the time. And we headed for what really appealed to me because I really love deserts and strange Mm -hmm. climate. And this is a really unique place because it's sand dunes. It's beautiful desert, but it's all the sand is red, as Maggie said. Or did you say that? I didn't say it. Well, I just, I was thinking it though. (laughs) We're just like, so on. You had a real red sand look on your face. So (laughs) it was extraordinary though. I mean, we've been now to two different locations with sand dunes in La Guajira in Northern Colombia Mm -hmm. and in the Ica desert in Peru. Right. And they were both beautiful, but these kind of stark brick red sand dunes were exquisite. I don't know where my fascination comes from with those types of climates. The like the sand dune, like I, I always think like Egypt, Sahara Desert mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I've never been to those places. But I think it might be the second world of Mario three, Super Mario Brothers three. Oh, I know what you mean, the desert world. Yeah, the yeah. desert world. Yeah. Exactly. I was thinking it had more to do with like all the speculative sci fi and stuff that you read as a kid and teenager. Because I know you like Dune. No, I read that as an adult, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And it wasn't... Uh, Dune is fine. Oh. Don't don't email us. It's fine. <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Dune, Dune's good. Yeah. But then there's like so many sequels or whatever. Right, right, It's right, just right. like, it's what like is Ender's going game, on? Yeah. yeah, it just gets yeah. so crazy. Um, so yeah, this is our Dune podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I think Mario 3 is where it comes from. Beautiful. Yeah. And while, so we got there. Uh, we woke up at... That was like our earliest wake up, I think. Yeah, we woke up at four o'clock in the morning. Four in the morning because we were actually allowed to drive through the park. This is, again, another NWR park in Namibia, Mm -hmm. managed basically like the national park system. And they let you into the park an hour before sunrise so that you can get out to Sosuvle before the sun comes up and see the sunrise over the sand dunes. Mm -hmm. So it was really beautiful. Um, And I think part of the reason that they let you do that is, A, it's a straight paved road for almost the entire route out to the sand dunes. And also it's really sparsely populated with animals. Like it's not as animal dense as these other parks. So they're not as worried about you accidentally hitting something. Yeah, there's a huge amount of visibility. You're going to see any animal that approaches the car, even within like a football field's length. You're going to be like, oh, there's a little... There's something moving. Moving thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
and um, we decided it would be like an awesome location to record our next video. And we wanted to do one highlighting our podcast equipment because we're like, oh, like that's something we get asked about an awful lot. I wanted to make like a little frequently asked questions on our website and just link to this video. Yeah. Which I haven't done yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We haven't done that with uh, the main video, the first video that we right. did. Right. Oh, man. All of this. Anyway, it was well, a good reminder. The podcast listeners know. So yeah. it's fine. Um, and right as we went to set it up, uh, we got like everything together. You know, we plan out all our scenes and everything. And we're like, yeah, let's do this. This enormous German family starts a picnic directly behind us yeah three young kids between the age of one and four mm -hmm. just, just running screaming. around like kicking balls and <laughs> soccer balls yeah just i was like maybe you want to clarify <laughs> <laughs> um so but it worked out you know yeah. sounds wise it's okay to have a little bit of background noise it was just hilarious. Yeah. We did. It was a really cool thing because we got up. We didn't have breakfast because we woke up so early and mm -hmm. we decided to just set up and have breakfast slowly after the sun had come up and we had already done a hike and we made coffee and we just sat around for a while and had the whole place to ourselves mm -hmm. until right before we recorded the video. <laughs> but it worked out. Uh. Um so yeah, the the park that we were staying in was really beautiful. It yeah. was um, one of it was so nice that we were like, you know what, let's just stay another night. Let's not rush out of here. Let's camp in this beautiful place. It's in this red sand desert, and it was very peaceful. Yeah, and in retrospect, it ended up being really wonderful that we stayed an extra day there and weren't in transit because the following morning we got news from home that my nana Marilyn had passed away. Yeah. Um, at about the stroke of midnight their time, which meant it was about 10 o'clock in the morning for us when we got the email. Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, awful news, but news that we received in this beautiful place. And, and so we decided uh, it was time to go home. Yeah, we were in a place that we could change our plans. Um, you know, we didn't really have great internet access and we couldn't do too much planning but it was possible to reroute back to Windhoek mm -hmm. or go south to Cape Town or even go to Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. But both of the second two options would involve two or three days of driving, um, though offer much better flights. Um, and so we, we decided just to go to Windhoek, who was much a lot, it was a lot closer, it was a lot faster, mm -hmm. and figure things out, basically. Like get yeah. back to internet and you know reach out to family and see what the situation was and make make decisions for the rest of the trip. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought it would be kind of nice. Um there's a Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva which you do for a week after a person has passed. Today is officially the last day of Shiva for my nana. And one of the things that you do during that is tell stories about the person who's passed. So we thought we would she was a listener to the podcast. Um, yeah. So I think she would have gotten a kick out of it, but we'll each tell a story about my Nana. <laughs> she was a listener, much to my horror, given the I know, given how much poop we've graphic, talked about. <laughs> graphic poop story I told. Oh, God. My garage sale poop story. <laughs> and <laughs> when we came back to visit her before, mm -hmm. um, it was like pretty recent that I had recorded that episode, and she was like, I listened to the podcast. And then she did indeed give me kind of a, a knowing look because <laughs> <laughs> she was very proper. <laughs> I, you know, the properness I felt like was less important to her than just like she was so elegant that she would never be like, I listened to your story about explosive emergency hey, shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> but she didn't not think it was funny either. No, she. I think she respected it for the <laughs> the comedic yeah. value. She's like, but yeah, you're gonna get this look from me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we got so lucky that we had come home when we did previously. And I even turned to Adam when we came home because, uh, we made that decision because I got a call from my dad and he was like, you know what, this is looking like it's it. And, you know, it's up to you what you want to do, but, uh, it looks like we're losing your Nana. And I was like, well, fuck, we're going home right now. At the time we were in Ushuaia, Mm -hmm. which was a city, like one of the few places that, you know, had an international airport. So. Um, and then we got home and she was like walking around and making jokes and like had made this miraculous recovery, um, you know, partially. And I turned to Adam as we were driving away and I was like, I understand rationally that, um, this is just like coming to a city that has been, you know, racked with storms in a moment of good weather, (laughs) Like it was unlikely and it's not a representation of what's actually going on and that I'm so lucky that we got to come home while she was present like that. Yeah. And that's a thing that has been giving me like incredible comfort. Yeah. It was very meaningful that trip. Yeah. Um, Um, By all accounts from our family, like that was her last best was uh, right when we were home before. Yeah. Um. So, Adam, I know you have a story which I really enjoy about my <laughs> Nana. <laughs> um, yeah. So, one of the times we were visiting, well, first of all, in terms of, you know, sitting Shiva, I'm not Jewish, um, but my dad, both of his parents are. Um, mm-hmm. He never was. He never practiced. He never really, you know, no religion really stuck to him. Um, he was very experimental in that. But... Um, there's always this debate of like, oh, well, you look very Jewish and like, you, you, you know. do look real Jewish. <laughs> um, so one of these times I'm saying bye to Nana and it's like, oh, you know, you go in for the hug, you go in, you know, to embrace. And I kind of fumbled the move. I like I put my hand on her back and she was going for the like the kiss on the cheek, you know, the double kiss on the cheek. And then I figured it out and I moved my hand and it, not not a great execution. <laughs> And instead of not saying anything, uh, Nana made a hilarious joke. She just said, I can tell you're Jewish because you don't know what you're doing with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was really great. It, it was is. like, That's just perfect, spot on. Yeah, and that is an A plus Nana moment. <laughs> and I, what I love about that, too, is the underlying, like, you're one of us. Yeah. She's very welcoming. Very welcoming. Um. So I think one of the kindest things grownups can do for kids is take an interest in their interests. And one of the ways, even when I was really little, I was aware my Nana did that. Um, For like the 10 minutes when I wanted to be a fashion designer for reasons unclear because I have no discernible sense of fashion, um, I would draw like little pictures of ladies wearing outfits and be like, I'm a fashion designer. And my Nana was actually genuinely interested in fashion and well-connected in that world in L.A. Um... And I was in like fourth or fifth grade and she took me to like an actual fashion designer uh, just to show her my drawings and have the fashion designer show me her work on a runway, like pictures she had from her last collection and to talk a little bit about fashion design. Yeah. Um, Right. Like I was like fourth or fifth grade. Like my (laughs) interests were also great white sharks. Um, (laughs) I also wanted to be a marine biologist or maybe the first woman president. Uh-huh. And also maybe a fashion designer. And, you know, 
there was one of those things that Nana really knew and was able to like throw down on and support and treat me like a grown up with it. And yeah. that was it. And so she did it. And it was like, it was so sweet and it was so encouraging. And even though obviously I am not a fashion designer because as mentioned, I have no discernible sense of fashion. Um, it was made very clear to me that being creative and being passionate about anything was exciting to her and that she would always encourage any avenue that I went down yeah. with that. And I think that that's so kind. And I think that's also why the people who she surrounded herself with loved her so intensely. Yeah. Because she, she did that for everyone. Yeah. She just really cared about everyone who told them anything about themselves. Yeah. She yeah. was just on the team. Even you with the apps, which I feel like is above and beyond the call of duty because like she categorically yeah. could not <laughs> use them. She was, by her own description, a minor motor moron. Like she just couldn't use a phone because she couldn't like poke buttons with her fingers. Like she'd just fuck it up all the time. Yeah. Um, and she would still like grill Adam about his apps. What's he working on? What does that mean? Are you excited about it? And like, exactly. Yeah. I thought that was, that was very sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made the decision to come home and be with my family, including my grandfather, who, um, she and him were married for just shy of 70 years. Yeah. This September would have been their 70th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, and getting home was exciting. Yeah. It was brutal. <laughs> it Let's was just go really ahead and brutal. say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we left... Vinhook and it was a you know it's a 1.3 million person town It's the mm -hmm. biggest city in Namibia mm -hmm. really it's the only major city mm -hmm. and it's we had one option Ethiopian Air mm -hmm. um, and that flight had two stops we thought well, we thought we thought we were doing a flight from Vinhook to Johannesburg Johannesburg to Addis Ababa and Addis Ababa to LA and when we looked at prices this was by far the most economical thing it was half 50%. half the price and actually duration wise the sh around the shortest duration possible mm -hmm. which is to say it was 30 hours <laughs> um so it was it was a little rough mm -hmm. the big surprise there are two big surprises i think we you know i like in johannesburg we had three hours or no five hours in johannesburg mm -hmm. and we have a credit card that gives us lounge access in some places. And that's really nice when there's a nice lounge, you can just sit around. Sure, yeah. Um, and then our next uh, international airport was Addis Ababa. Which, which was like a bazaar. Yeah, or <laughs> I would say like a casino. It felt like- Oh, the, you know what? That's a better description. <laughs> it really felt like the inside <laughs> of a casino. And it turned out there were a few things that contributed to that. First of all, on one half of the terminal, there was a smoking room. And it was like completely packed with people. The whole room was just like white with smoke. It was spilling out through the cracks. And in fact, there were just people standing outside of the smoking room door smoking also. It was just, yeah. So half of the terminal smelled like smoke. Mm -hmm. That's half of the casino vibe. Yeah. And the other half is actually anyone can just enter that part of the terminal. All of the main parts where the shops are. There's a tons of, tons of seats like everything. But it's just crazy because anyone can come out off the street. And really the security check is right at the gate. And once you go through that security check, you are stuck. You can't go back out. There's only a bathroom. There's no place to even buy water. You just have to sit and wait. Yeah. So we, we chose not to do that. But we had like three and a half hours just sitting in this really chaotic place. Well, my favorite part was once you pass through security, um, they take away your water bottles. 
any water you bought in the airport, you can't take past the security into the gate. And you're like, okay, so can I buy water on the other side? And they were like, no. <laughs> so once you yeah. pass through security, it's just like no more water for you. Yeah. And I even asked specifically that. I was like, so once you pass into the gate, no more water for you? And he was like, yes. <laughs> like that was normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, that, so that was brutal. And the other part of it was that flight... Um, going through it was supposed to be we thought it was going to be Addis Ababa to LAX mm-hmm. but it didn't work out that way did it Maggie it sure didn't it turned out it was uh Addis Ababa to LA um via Dublin right as in Ireland <laughs> so that makes the whole route first of all like a 90 degree it's like half of a rectangle because you go basically straight north yeah and then straight east yeah uh it made it way longer added that like hour in the, where you're just kind of in the it middle. It was more than an hour. Just sitting in the airport yeah, on the ground. Yeah, sitting in the airplane as this um, crew comes through and cleans out the seats. Which, by the way, is incredibly disorienting when the last time you were like around new people, it was all like, you know, Africans and people flying through Ethiopia. And then you land and a million Irish dudes come like flooding onto your plane and asking questions. <laughs> like, yeah. It was so strange and yeah. disorienting. You're like, where am I even? Why am I here? And then it was another nine hours from Dublin to LA. Yeah. And those nine hours are all like zombie hours. They're, you're basically making up the time zone difference to mm-hmm. get to the Pacific coast. So the sun stays in the exact same position in the sky and they bring you, I guess, breakfast and lunch, even though on our time, zone it was like three in the morning and six in the morning it was like what is going on yeah this was definitely some pretty bad jet lag getting back yeah Um, Um, but we were able to get back in time for uh not an official shiva i learned um that you can't actually say the kaddish which is the the prayer for the the past um on shabbat so we had like a big shabbat family thing uh, that was unofficially also kind of a shiva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we were, I would say, in a fugue state. Like, it was, like, really great to be with everyone and, like, feel that solidarity. But it was also, like, I would say 35% of our, our being. Oh, man. <laughs> Especially me. Uh, Maggie's great socially. <laughs> like, her social IQ is off the charts. But I am pretty low on that wow, you're so hard on yourself I, i'm just that's saying like not true i know it's true <laughs> so but one of the first things that goes for me when i'm tired is like the ability to be charming in any sense of the word you're so hard on yourself <laughs> just like i think it just takes you more energy to think about it's exhausting social. yes yeah. it's exhausting we'll just say so when i'm <laughs> exhausted already i'm like oh man but i, I think we held it together yeah, yeah we held it together yeah um, um so now uh, one tiny piece of silver lining kind of to all of this, um, is that while we were figuring out how to get home, we also got noticed that Shadow was arriving in Miami more than a week early. Yeah. Six, six days actually. Oh, I thought it was eight days. Oh no, but that's a big deal because yeah. you get charged quite a bit at a port for mm-hmm. leaving your vehicle or not your vehicle, leaving your container around. They don't care what's in the container. They just know your name's on the container and you are responsible for tying up that container and tying up all that space. It's called yeah. demurrage. Um, so you would, would end up paying like hundreds of dollars a day past a certain point of leaving that container around. Mm-hmm. 
And so, um, yeah, we have upcoming logistics. I'm going to fly to Florida on mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. Maggie's going to get a little extra time here with the family. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take care of getting the, the container out of the port, which in the United States is a surprising pain in the ass. I don't think that that should be surprising to us. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing was when we sent it, There's all ever since 9-11, there has been an extra security form you need to file um, two days before it even ships with the um, Customs and Border Control people, the ISF, mm-hmm. um, and make that filing. And then you have to make a final filing right before it arrives. And we have all of that stuff. But also at this port, and this is Port Everglades, which is basically just Miami's port, um, you need to, as a private citizen, you're not allowed to enter the port under any circumstance. So I have this container full of our property in the port, and I need to hire an intermediate company myself just to get it out. Yeah. At first, the options seemed to be hiring a trucking company to drive a truck into the port, take the container out, bring that container to a extra place like a, a warehouse way off premises, have them put it on the loading dock. Then I could have access to the container, take the vehicle out. In fact, I couldn't do that myself. I'd have to hire another third party to, to strip the container, as it's called. Mm-hmm. So many hoops to jump through. And then, then they bring that empty container back to the port. Um, but uh, I got in contact with the manager of the port, and this is kind of a special circumstance that it's just a private citizen with a vehicle yeah. with cargo that moves itself. Yeah. Um, and they agreed for a pretty hefty price, but still $400. Um, they will empty the container there in the port for me. Mm-hmm. I had to FedEx the key to them because they need the key in order to move Shadow. And they have to reconnect the battery as well. And, and yeah, I made a PDF with instructions about how to <laughs> reconnect the, the battery. I actually printed it with a little color printer. Um, and I think we're going to be okay. You Okay. <laughs> You're like saintly with taking care of all these logistics. I basically, like yesterday I woke up at about 9.30 in the morning. Adam had been up since 5 and taking care of almost all of yeah, this. Yeah, I'm stuck on middle time zone, which I realized is basically Eastern time. So I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. every day here, mm-hmm. but that's going to be 8 a.m. on the East Coast. So perfect. I'll be perfect. Yeah. But yeah, I use that time to <laughs> book a hotel, book flights, deal with the shipping companies. In case you were ever wondering which one of us is a better person, <laughs> it's Adam. So yeah, a lot of logistics coming up, but it should yeah. all go pretty smoothly. We've already filed our customs paperwork and it's theoretically cleared customs. I don't mm-hmm. understand how that works because the container hasn't even arrived yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But generally after that, in a very kind of uh, unspecific way, we are heading north and then we are heading west Yep. to through, drive um, through Canada to get home. The, the plan, the biggest part of the plan, really the only thing we've hammered down is that we're going to drive through Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, time permitting, of course. Yeah. But that's the plan. Yeah. So Adam... Should we get into your technical corner? Yes, indeed. Um, Pursuant to our early conversation about driving to the Susuvalet Dunes, Mm -hmm. um, driving in sand offers some interesting challenges, and we definitely ran up against those in Mr. Wednesday. Um, We got stuck in the sand, did we not? We sure did. So this, there's like, you know, a paved road that takes you 40, 50 kilometers out into the middle of the desert. But then the last five kilometers to get to like the trailhead for the hikes and where all the beautiful dunes are is all just through loose sand. 
and it really, really gets loose at certain points on the trail. The first thing that we messed up was just driving out, and I forgot to even put on four-wheel drive because we had been on pavement, and I drove out, and I was like, oh, crap, I got to put on four-wheel drive. We're starting to bog down. So I stopped and put it in four-wheel drive, but just stopping and then trying to start on the sand, we just dug ourselves straight down. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then I sure did. completely forgot about the fact that we had a special capability in our car that I'll talk about, but I got out of the car and I was like, all right, we're going to put down these sand tracks and try to get out of here real quickly. And then one of the tour guides, that, so there's like a N, NWR shuttle that runs and these guys mm-hmm. are really used to guys getting stuck in the sand, I think. I mean, I think it's most of their job is just getting people yeah. who drive themselves unstuck because sh- we saw at least three other people get stuck in and out of that park. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, and they knew exactly what to do. They they saw we were in a Land Cruiser, and they're just like, "You have differential lock, you dummy!" <laughs> like, <laughs> but like way nicer that, than that. Yeah, it was like, put that away. What are you doing? Just turn the switch, and then yeah. like he he turned the switch, and we were able to immediately drive. Yeah. So I've talked about it in passing before, but a differential lock, all it does is, for instance, if you have your car and one wheel is off the ground and three wheels are firmly on the ground, and you try to drive. A normal operation in all cars, trucks, cars, everything we drive, has this thing where it's going to transfer all the power to the the easiest wheel to spin. And that's great because when you turn, when you go around curves on the road, you want that. You want the inner wheels to turn less than the outer wheels um, where there's less friction. It, It makes the ride very, very good. And this has been on cars for a really long time. That's what a differential is. Um, it's just a whole bunch of gears that change how much power go to each wheel dynamically. Mm-hmm. So a differential lock says, no, screw that. I want this car to operate like a tractor. I want all of the wheels to turn in lock sync when I press the gas. And when you do that, when you're stuck in the sand, it gets you out of the sand really, really fast. Well, it did the first time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so but then the second time, the first time wasn't that bad. We had just stopped in a little bit of loose sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just trying to start from a dead stop, that's not great. But if we had kept our momentum, it wouldn't have been that big of a problem. But later on the trail, it got so loose that even with four-wheel drive and having been moving like 20 kilometers an hour, mm-hmm. eventually we just lost all traction and we're just stuck in the sand. Um, and at that point, we actually needed to get out and push to like make any yeah. progress. And with the differential lock on, we were moving at like an inch a second just barely getting through that part. Pretty stressful because it's like we're in this very heavy vehicle. Yeah. So then um, one of the NWR guys stops. He's like, okay, we got to push. Yep. And he like has Adam sit in the front and I helped push. And he very cleverly took the side without the exhaust on it. <laughs> yeah. And I took the side with the exhaust on it, which yep. was garbage. Um, but we got ourselves out of that pretty quickly too. But I will give us two notes that I'm also aware of, and we okay. didn't take this um, approach. because oh, I, I know one of them. I know you know. You want to tell it? Yes. Okay. We could have aired down the tires. Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes the biggest difference. Like, all this differential lock stuff is like, yeah, that works. It, it got the job done, but really just airing down the tires to, like, one bar of pressure, pretty, pretty loose. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to drive on the roads this way. But it makes the traction so much better, especially when your vehicle's heavy and especially when you're in sand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that first thing that we yeah. could have done. So I, I wasn't so worried. We always had that option. Right. That's sort of like the nuclear option. I didn't want to have to get out the air compressor once we got on the road. Yeah. Um, but some people drive 
big heavy rigs like this up sand dunes and they're like really into doing this. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't. I'm not too excited about it. Like there, we met a guy later on the trip that told us he like runs tours in the sand dunes and that mm-hmm. he was going to go drive his truck off the sand dunes. And he's like, the main thing you got to remember is you can never turn your wheels while you're going uphill on a sand dune because as soon as you turn even just a little bit, all your traction changes its um, its vector, which yeah. direction it's pointed, and you lose complete control and you start to slide and you can like slide out the back of your vehicle and then cause the vehicle to just roll down the hill like a barrel roll. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Yeah. I just don't understand. I, I'm not like, gonna, why? Yeah. Why? Why do that? <laughs> this is another one of those situations where I was like, maybe you should just walk up the hill. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like, I get that it's exhausting to walk up sand dunes. Yeah, that's true. But, but if it's not a dune buggy, maybe just just walk. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's worth the risk for me. Yeah. So that's sand. Yeah. Maggie. Yes. What is in your safari lodge? Okay. So I've been saving this because it's like my favorite thing. And now that our time in Africa is officially over, um, I want to talk about hyena social structure in mm-hmm. a more official way. Okay. So as mentioned before, they spotted hyenas live in a matriarchal society. So the ladies are in charge. But beyond that, they have what like the equivalent of royalty. Like there is one dominant female in a clan. Um, and her dominance is actually inherited by her daughters. Really? So um, you can tell who's in charge with hyenas by who gets to eat first. So she'll eat first, and her babies will eat before the other grown hyenas. Whoa. Right? That's really interesting. Yeah, and the grown hyenas will, like, back off when they see the princesses coming. And be like, Whoa. I don't want to get in trouble. Wow. Um, so it's inherited dominance until, like, that female gets killed. Um, like it what does happens it, it, if the uh, Then another female rises, and her babies get that kind of treatment. If they stay alive for the whole time, and then, like, the daughter, you know, becomes a grown-up, then she can be in charge, I think. But, like, I don't, it's not exactly the same as our royalty. Yeah. So, because someone has to be in charge all the time. Right. Um, but, in addition to that, males are subordinate and considered a nuisance and not really allowed to socialize with them quite as much hmm. um, because they are not as helpful for hunting and because they're smaller and less powerful and also have a tendency to eat the babies because yeah. they're hungry. <laughs> they're not allowed in. Um, anyway, so that's a hilarious thing. In their defense, hyena babies sound like they'd be pretty tasty. All right, settle down. Mm. Um, to that end, actually, spotted hyena females have um, two nipples that they can feed their babies off of. Um, but often will have three babies at a time. Um, and it is just a normal part of hyena power struggle for two of the more powerful siblings to kill and eat their less powerful sibling a to uh, ensure safe access to a nipple to feed off of and also just because they're mean (laughs) (laughs) wow um yep Uh, pretty impressive so oh other one last fun hyena fun fact um hyenas were for a really long time mistaken as the only hermaphroditic mammal species and this is not true they are male and female, um, but the females have a phallus, like a penis-looking thing, which is where the confusion came from. Mm-hmm. So when male hyenas and female hyenas have sex, it's uh, kind of like sticking a pencil into a Chinese finger trap. 
or like a pipe. Mm-hmm. So the female phallus is um, long and hollow, and the man's is, um, you know, like a pencil. It's skinny right. and long, but solid. Um, and so there's this hilarious moment where a smaller subordinate animal has to try to mount and like arrange his boner into a, <laughs> a sleeve. Um, it's like a flashlight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Like an external <laughs> flashlight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so if you've ever seen videos of it, it's like one of the funniest things in the world. Huh. Yeah. Especially for the bored look that is ubiquitously on every female hyena's face while that's happening. Like they just have to be really patient <laughs> while <laughs> all that's going on. Um, but it's also, they also give birth through them, which is why um, hyenas, Ooh. even in captivity, have an incredibly high mortality rate when they... Uh, give birth wow because they have a tendency to split open and bleed out Jeez. yeah well that's a lot of facts you just dropped on us I, you know and i'm holding back yeah i'm just saying i'm gonna well. start a whole other podcast just called hyena watch <laughs> <laughs> um should we get into your meat counter yeah sure uh real quick mm-hmm. i never touched on this and i feel terrible about it but grass-fed beef what's the deal wait can we give a shout out to my dad yeah. for bringing this up he doesn't even Richard like beef Hall, that much. He, he <laughs> called me out and very appropriately, he was like, hey, I thought you would at least mention this at some point. One of the reasons that Argentina has such a good reputation for beef is that most of their beef is grass fed on the pampas, the big grasslands that they have. Of course, this is changing, unfortunately. More and more people are doing factory farming down there. But still, there's a lot of really high quality beef. And you can get grass-fed beef here, but it's really like 5% of the market. costs a lot more. Mm-hmm. And uh, our species of beef, I, I don't know what the deal is. I think it's just the American taste has gotten so used to the uh, terrible beef practices that we have here. We're basically, for the last month of the animal's life, the goal is to make them as fat as possible. So they feed them grains, which is not part of their natural diet. They eat grass. Cows eat grass. It's just a fact. Um, So grass-fed beef tends to be a lot leaner, Mm -hmm. a lot less fat, a little bit more flavor, a little bit gamier, but is really, really healthy. And we have this whole stigma against beef um, that it's unhealthy, it's really high in saturated fat. I think you're out of your 30 seconds. (sighs) (laughs) Conjugated linoleic acid is really high in grass-fed beef. Say that 20 times fast. Conjugated linoleic acid. Conjugated linoleic acid. Okay, I was just kidding. That's good. Two times the sufficient. CLAs, um, they're really, really good for health. and they're very similar to the omega-3s that are also really, really good for health. And it's been linked to like leaner bodies, better cardiovascular health, 50% reduction in tumors. Mm-hmm. It's really good stuff, and we don't get enough of it in our standard American diets. Anyway. Grass- I wish somebody would feed me grains <laughs> <laughs> all you the time. In the last month of your yeah. life? Yeah. Just get you ready for the slaughter? Yeah, just be like cupcakes That's all me- the time. <laughs> Cupcakes and corn tortillas. That's basically <laughs> what it is. It's like, okay, we're going to cut you up soon, so let's get more weight for the scales. I mean, at least they died happy. And also the animals <laughs> get so sick in this last month no. that they also have to pack them full of tons of antibiotics. It's okay. Should okay. we get into the three Bs? It's terrible. Yes. <laughs> the three Bs. One of them is for better meat practices. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> better bovine nutrition. Better bovine buoys. All right. Um, The the three Bs, as always, stand for beautiful, brutal, and bizarre. Adam, what is your choice for beautiful? Uh, My pick is walking along the ridge of a sand dune that is all red 
at dawn mm-hmm. when the sun is all red because it's Africa and they have amazing sunrises and sunsets all the time. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful moment. I really liked it. Yeah. That was um, exquisite. We took some cool pictures of it. I think we can, I think they're on Instagram already. And I think you one might, is, but I'm going to post another one for this episode. You're going to post a silly one, I think, huh? It is a good picture. Just period. <laughs> also, uh-huh. um, there's a creeper in it though. <laughs> it's just a spoiler for the picture that's going to come. <laughs> um, Maggie, your pick. Yeah. So, um, mine is similar being in that red sand dune desert uh, that was so unusual and beautiful Um, but also being there to receive the news about my nana was um, really fortunate for a lot of reasons and meaningful Um, one being that she was a great collector of beautiful moments and stories and vistas Um, and there was a word she always said just lovely like you she, when she asked questions about our trip and we'd say this place was really beautiful or that place was really beautiful, she'd go, oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. And so being in a lovely place to receive the news about this lovely woman, um, it seemed like a place she would have appreciated and would have wanted to see pictures from. Um, but it also made my heart feel a little better in that moment, um, knowing that actually now she was in a better place to appreciate that that vista with me than she would have been previously um adam what is your choice for brutal um i'm picking this brutal on your behalf maggie because you (laughs) suffered the brunt of it but we were on this plane and we mentioned we stopped in dublin Mm -hmm. in dublin we picked up a lot of passengers we had a lot of room on the first half of that but after dublin going to la it was a you know mostly full flight Mm-hmm. And Maggie ended up pulling the worst draw in terms of person to sit behind her on this flight that you're ostensibly sleeping on. Like that's a goal. Yeah, the goal the here goal. is to sleep. She got a four or five year old boy. He was four. He was, he was four. like either three and a half or four. He yeah. was pre kindergarten. He was right at that age where he's just he's got all his motor functions. He's ready to just bang around, but he's not quite there with the discipline especially this kid. <laughs> so he's like kicking Maggie's seats. Maggie, just when she decides she's going to go to sleep, she, you know, you know, get kicked, this huge kick in her back and she's shaking and I can see her with her face mask on and her earplugs in and she's just like jostled around. And I'm like, Ugh. she takes her, her, her stuff off and looks at me and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, this kid has a lot of energy. You know, like I understand. <sighs> Okay, before you make me sound like a martyred saint, it's just, I really like kids. Yeah, and I get yeah, that that's long international flights, that's a tough sell with like a three-year-old boy mm-hmm. who had previously been running around and screaming. Like, I get it. Yeah. It doesn't, I wasn't I thought it was very understanding. Initially. Initially. But I already at the back of my mind was like, well, what about the next seven hours? <laughs> like, yes, you're right. Yeah. But what's the plan? Um so eventually, yeah, you you turned around and you're like, hey, you know, and you talked to the mom who mm-hmm. was sitting an aisle back and she kind of gently scolded him. But it turned out that these kids were just banshees. Like they, the mom like briefly said like, hey, did you hear that? Right. Like that was he, it. She was like, did you hear the lady? And he was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he immediately resumed kicking the shit out of me. Yeah. And it, so it was like <laughs> nothing to be done except for like making a huge scene and that's not going to help. Right. 
I don't the think. only thing that made me genuinely angry about all of that was that his dad was spread across three seats in the middle. Right. That was a um, question at some point. Asleep. It was like, can he, like, there are open seats. Can he yeah. sit behind an empty seat instead of somebody who's trying to sleep really hard? Yeah. Like, anyway. And she was like, no, those are our seats. And then I looked over and his dad was taking up an entire aisle by himself and was blissfully asleep. Right. And I was like, I dislike you. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it turned out that it wasn't just that. They were later just running around the plane uncontrolled stealing things yeah that was my favorite the little girl would just steal shit from other people's seats like pillows we weren't the only ones to react to it yeah Yeah. it was the ones that the plane gave yeah i think she could recognize that those were free things but she did not understand the concept of one per passenger right (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway it was a lot it was brutal and it was just like oh maggie i'm sorry yeah um your pick i mean i was gonna say it was the addis ababa to LA via Dublin yeah. was like kind of brutal, but now reliving the horror of just having the shit kicked out of me by a three-year-old <laughs> for like two and a half hours, yeah, uh, until he finally just went back to sleep. I think, yeah, um, he wore himself out eventually. I just kicking me. Yeah. That's how he wore himself out. Yeah, his foot hurt. <laughs> to I'm gonna get that off. was that was my brutal too. <laughs> Being pushed past the point of ubiquitously liking children. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, mm-hmm. do you have a choice for bizarre? Yeah. Oh, so we actually, so this is a story about bribery. Mm-hmm. We had, I mentioned last episode how the Namibian police checkpoints were bizarre. And this bizarre is about them also. Yeah. Last week I said they were bizarre because they weren't stopping anyone. They weren't even paying attention. Well, Maggie and I did come across a checkpoint where the guard was very tuned in to every vehicle that was passing through. Mm-hmm. And so it was just one guard, one police officer. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, he's, he's not a guard. He was a police, police officer. Yeah, yeah, he is a police officer. He's stopping people in both directions, and he's stopping a vehicle on the oncoming lane to mm-hmm. our right in this country. Um, and they were already stopped. And it, first of all, it should have been a warning sign, but he was talking to the previous car, and then the driver of that car reaches up through the window and hands out two cigarettes and the police officer takes the two cigarettes mm-hmm. and that should have been our first warning sign. Yeah. But he's currently talking to this car. And so I'm going to stop. Of course he's, he's in the road, he's doing his job and he's waving people down. But I pull the car up to where he is talking to the other car. There's no other cars yeah. around. There's no one in line. I was just getting close to him. And then he comes over after talking to the truck where they gave him cigarettes and he talks to us and he says, um, you need to back up five feet. Back up the car now. Do you now. see where the stop sign is? Do you see where it Do is? Do you see where you? the stop sign is? Like you, super aggressive and confrontational yeah, yeah. right off the bat. Just like you need to back up, back up five feet. Do you see where it is? Go, go back there. And so I back up the car and you know back to the stop sign line. And it's really it's barely five feet. It's like it's just a little bit over. So I'm already like okay, BS alarm. He. He's then, once we get there, he's like, okay, good. So now you see how you're supposed to do it. Now I'm going to give you a ticket. Pull over here. Mm-hmm. And he like, he has me pull off the he's road. He's like, you won't forget next time. Yeah. So you won't forget Jesus, next time. Jesus, dude. It's like, all right. And at this point I have played knifey spoony. I am, I'm in the the right frame of mind. It's like, sure. Whatever you say, let's go, go along with it. I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to take whatever ticket you're going to give me. Yeah. Especially because like we could leave the country and not pay it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> It was, this was the day before we were leaving. Yeah, we're going to leave tomorrow anyway, but also, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, so, okay, let's. I'll play your game is basically my attitude. 
pull over, get out. And he talks to me. He's like, when are you leaving? I tell him, like, oh, we don't know. We're, we're working out our logistics now. And yeah. he's like, and this is the, the moment I'm la- labeling bizarre. He looks at me. He's like, would you like it if I gave you a ticket? <laughs> and it's just like. Yes, daddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. It's like sort of like a creepy S&M, S&M, thing. S&M thing like do you, <laughs> are you a masochist like do you want a ticket <laughs> have you been a very bad boy do you want to be punished <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was like okay uh, no, no I wouldn't really like a ticket but you just do what you think is right yeah. is what I said to him yeah which I think was a pretty perfect response because he was just like okay well then um, I'll give you a ticket and and then he like kind of looks at me for a little while. He's like, "Oh, so you're leaving tomorrow?" I was like, "Yeah, probably." He's like, "Hmm, okay." And then so after I basically called his bluff, he he basically says, "Okay, I'll let you go." Just because it's the same thing, like it's not worth him actually writing a ticket yeah. that says, "Oh, we're failure to stop exactly on the line and have all this stuff where I might right. contest it, have a paper trail for his bullshit." Yeah. Um but then, so he's like, okay, well, it sounds like you guys have had a hard time in the last few days. I'll let you go. Um, and it's like, okay, thank you. And then right as I'm leaving, he's like, but maybe you have uh, a 50 for me or something, which is about, you know, five bucks. He's like, maybe you have a 50 for me? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just you know, get in the car and drive off. And yeah. Then, and that was it. Yep. So that's basically our approach to dealing with bribes has been act ignorant. Mm-hmm. Or act like you're completely fine with paying the ticket and mm-hmm. you're going to go pay the ticket and let's just do the ticket. Please write out the ticket. Yeah. And we got zero tickets the entire time we were here. Even though we had a legitimate infraction multiple times in Peru that we were stopped for. Right. With um, the window tint. With tents. the window tint. That was a real thing. Yeah, but kind of. they don't want to make a ticket for it. And right. It's not realistic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Bizarre. Would I like it if he gave me a ticket? I maintain that your answer should have been yes, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, your pick for Bizarre? Um, so this is actually, I should have brought up in the last podcast we recorded because it happened in Etosha. Oh. Um, but it was hilarious. So we stopped in uh, one of the places where they had outhouses and like a gated off area because we wanted to make some coffee because, um, you know, we were waking up before dawn every day. So it was like a nice spot for it in the middle of the grassland. And... Um, We pull in, we park, you know, I'm making the coffee this time. And Adam sees a huge uh, concrete column that was previously part of a picnic table that has fallen over. It was a circular picnic table. Yeah. That was shaped sort of like a a huge screw that broke off from the ground. Yeah. So it kind of rolled. I went over and I kicked it with my foot and Mm -hmm. rolled it a little bit. Yeah. And he's like, I can lift this. And I was like... (laughs) Adam, please don't. Because I was like, if he throws out his fucking back, like I'm just fucked. I have good posture. Though. Anyway, I know how to, okay. this is my bizarre. Uh-huh. Back <laughs> off. <laughs> um, so he's like, I'm going to pick this up. And I was like, please don't do that. And he's like, I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> Fine, live your truth. And so he goes over and he like, you know, brings his lats down flexes his stomach deep like squat. Gets, yeah it gets yeah. into a real deep squat goes to lift it and the minute he puts any effort into it you hear Rick! and i was like what was that was he's like, like <laughs> 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 what was that noise um and he's like i think 
I think I ripped my pants. So oh. I immediately I start videoing because I'm like, <laughs> go on. And he bends over in front of the video camera. He's like, is it bad? And it's ripped from taint to lower back just <laughs> all the way down his pants. Yeah, the whole back of my just pants. Just like an open flap, like a hospital gown. Yeah, those are back. good pants too. Well, you got them fixed, I got them, which I is just got miraculous. them back today. I guess actually the true bizarre is that they were able to fix something that bad because it wasn't just a straight rip. There was also a 90 degrees perpendicular Multiple. headed in the opposite, yeah. you know, like just crazy torn these pants and they have been put to back together as though a normal person bought them and then never tried to lift a 500 pound concrete pillar, which categorically <laughs> he could not lift. I, it might have, well, I guess it's not the fence. Yeah. I just wanted to see if I could. And That's so not what you said that you said, <laughs> I can lift this. Well. <laughs> I changed my pants after that, uh-huh. and I went and tried again. Which, okay, no, well, also <laughs> bizarre that you're like, you already ruined one pair of pants. No, Maybe I should try the, for two. The other pants were much stretchier. I knew they wouldn't rip like that. Still. Um, and I indeed could not lift it, not even close. Yeah. I think the estimate of 500 pounds <laughs> is probably about right. So, um, well, yeah, that was those unfortunate. Are our three Bs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, you can support Let's Not Panic, our videos, and potentially bonus episodes every month by going to patreon.com slash let's not panic. Yeah, we've gotten just a ton of support from our fans, and we really love it when you support the show. It's amazing for us. It keeps us going. It's true. And we do literally high five every time a new one of you joins. I do. Yeah. It's a fact. Maggie gets mad at me sometimes because I will be in the middle of something else, and then I will have checked my email and point the phone at her face and she's just like, what, what are you doing? And then, and then we is overcome five. with joy Yeah, and we high five. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also see pictures of our travels like the red sand dunes. Um, and actually a really sweet picture of my grandparents together at peak glam, mm-hmm. um, on our Instagram at let's not panic. And the video of, me ripping my pants. That's right? actually on my Instagram oh. at Maggie Takuda Hall. Uh-huh. Um, you can see it there under a post that says Adam, a man in two studies. <laughs> and one of them is a picture of him like standing on the roof of Mr. Wednesday, like taking a photograph into the sunset, just looking, you know, majestic and I artistic do. and manly. And then the <laughs> other one's him being like, Is it bad? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you can subscribe to us and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Yes, indeed. It's true. It warms our cold, cold, cold little hearts mm-hmm. to see your kind words on our on our public reviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. This is what it sounds like where we are. He was a man about town. And he... I'm a great reputation. Always different girl every night. <laughs> but he says, I went to see him. Just a minute. Would you like to go back to school? Yes, I would. He says, I will pay for your school if you will follow my rules. You must never tell anybody where you got the money. You must pay back every penny that you got from me. You got to keep an A plus or B plus average. And you must do this for some of those subjects. Wow. 
And I did. And he did. <laughs>